Uh, this past year uh, in our youth program, we've been going over the book of Philippians, um, and it was uh, quite the joy to, to read this letter with our kids, um, but uh, I had to leave halfway through it. I, we, I didn't get to finish the book uh, with them, so I was really bummed, especially uh, as I came to this passage right here. Uh, it, it was one that speaks of joy and contentment, um, and it really challenged me as I, as I read it, as I was doing um, some prep work before the year, and, and I wanted to, to preach it uh, because it, it struck my heart and, and challenged me so much, uh, especially as a new parent right now. Uh, I have discovered that joy and contentment are very hard to come by, um, and it, it's a bit of a, a distant memory for me at times. Um, and here, you know, the Apostle Paul is ending his letter to his beloved friends at in the church of Philippi, in Philippi, and uh, he thanks them for partnering with him in ministry all these years. Uh, and and it's, it's amazing because he tells them that he has a very content heart, which is very shocking if you read the rest of the letter because you find that he is in a very awful situation, right? He's been imprisoned for two years in Rome. He's been shackled to uh, Roman guards. Uh, he's been under house arrest. He's awaiting trial. Um, even worse, on the outside, Christian pastors are spreading rumors about him because they're jealous of him. And uh, this church in Philippi sends uh, the man of Epaphroditus to go minister to him. And, and along the way, he gets so sick that he almost dies. Uh, I mean, this, this is not a great situation. And yet, when you read this book, you find that Paul is a man who is full of, full of of joy and peace and contentment, and he's unshaken despite all that he's going through. And he's encouraging others, exhorting others to rejoice in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but if I was in Paul's place and I was writing this letter, get me out of here would probably be the most repeated line in my letter. Yet he doesn't say that one time. And how is it that he is this content, so joyful and peaceful despite his awful circumstances? Is it possible for us to also have this heart and this mindset, to be people of joy, contentment, and strength, despite all that we go through. That's what we're going to try to find out today. First off, joy is found in the Lord. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. All right, Paul, again here, thanks them for their care. Uh, he's done this earlier in the letter. He's thanked them and, and repeated gratitude towards them uh, for coming alongside him in his ministry. Uh, and, and clearly, at some point, they stopped. All right, that's why he says, you revived your concern for me. At one point, you did not extend that uh, same help. And there's no uh, clarity as to why they stopped, but Paul doesn't see it as important to, to mention it. All he says is, thank you for reviving it, reviving that concern and, and coming alongside of me. And he rejoices. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you have now revived your concern. Now, it's important to note where his joy comes from, right? He says, I rejoiced in the Lord, not in you, Philippians, but I rejoiced in the Lord, right? He, he actually sees that the Philippians' revived concern is the work of the Lord, and therefore he rejoices in the Lord's doing. He attributes this development to the Lord's kindness, and therefore he rejoices. And it's important that we make this distinction because his joy is not based upon their support or their concern. Because if it were, his joy would have stopped when they did not 
think of him, care for him, but rather his joy is based on the Lord. And therefore, his joy is not temporary, and it's not something that is taken from him. Right? His joy is not circumstantial, but rather it comes from the Lord. It is not a flimsy happiness, but it is an enduring joy. And this is the same joy that he now exhorts the Philippians. He exhorts us to have throughout the letter. And it's amazing because this is his pattern throughout the book. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul rejoices, even though he mentions that rival preachers are now smearing his name and tearing him down while he sits in prison. In Philippians 2, 17, Paul rejoices, even though he realizes he may never be free, and he may, in fact, die while imprisoned. In Philippians 3, 1, and Philippians 4, 4, Paul calls for rejoicing, even after talking about infighting within the church. All these are terrible situations, yet his joy remains complete, and he calls us to that rejoicing. See, circumstances don't affect the joy that Paul finds in the Lord. When he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, he's saying, the Lord is my source of joy. He is my source of joy. Not this world, not my situation. And as long as my my source of joy endures, my joy endures. And friends, do you have this enduring joy in the Lord? Are you able to say with Paul, I rejoice in the Lord when things aren't going your way? or your life is spinning out of control. Uh, There's a very easy way to check this. See, what what happens to you when you don't get your way, when you don't get what you want? Uh, uh, 12 weeks ago, we had a a kid. Uh, By the end of this message, you will be tired of hearing about my kid. I'm sorry, I have baby brain. But in October, we welcomed our baby boy, and I realized very quickly that I do not have this joy, right? As I lost sleep, freedom, time, control, I discovered that my happiness is built upon my circumstances. It's built on having control of my own life. And uh, as these things disappeared one by one, I discovered that I became a very mean and bitter and resentful man. Or perhaps it was revealed to me that I always have been this. Rejoicing was the last thing on my mind. Happiness had faded because my, my source had faded. It had proven itself to be Worthless. But you see, joy doesn't because its source never fades. See, at all points of life, we are able to rejoice in the Lord because he is always good to us, because he is always worth rejoicing in. In verse uh, 4 of chapter 4, Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He's not commanding us just to be happy or fake the emotion or or stop feeling sad. Just just stop, you know, frowning. Turn that frown upside down. Just be happy. Manipulate your emotions. Is that what Paul is saying? Or rather, is he saying rejoice in the Lord's goodness? Rejoice in how good our God is. Rejoice in his character. Rejoice in his salvation of us. These things I can always always find joy in. We can always rejoice in him because he is always worth rejoicing in. And do you realize that as Christians, for us who call him Father, that this joy is always available to us? I mean, think about that for a second. Always that joy is yours at all times. There's never a moment where that joy dries up. 
When you hear that you have cancer, when you hear that your child is walking away from the faith, when you lose your job, when your family is falling apart, when you're wrestling with depression, at all these moments, your joy is still available to you. Because the Lord is still good. He's still worth rejoicing in. The Psalms tell us that in Him, in God, is the fullness of joy, meaning in Him the richest, the depths of joy are found. It can never be exhausted. There's never a point you come to as you're getting to know God where you say, well, okay, that's about all the happiness and joy I'll ever receive. In Him, the fullness of joy resides, meaning in Him as long as you keep searching for Him. The, the longer you keep digging into Him, the more you find that joy evolves and grows and deepens because his goodness never ends. And therefore, we can rejoice even in the midst of the worst moments of life. Joy can never be stolen for us, from us. And what would it look like for us to have this joy? What would it look like for your life? Second, we can always be content. Verse 11 not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul here describes something otherworldly. He's, dis, he's, he's learned how to be content in every and any situation. And, and contentment is this idea of, of, of having your needs met. Uh, of being self-sufficient, to, to receive everything you need. And it's truly an astounding claim that he makes, especially when we consider what he's been going through. And, and he lists the extreme opposites to make a point. Right? He, he knows how to be brought low, how to abound, how to, face, uh, to have plenty, to face hunger, to have abundance and need. And in other words, he's saying, I'm content no matter where I am, what's going on, whether I'm hungry or full and anywhere in between. Doesn't matter what's going on, I am content. And it, it's very much like, like joy for Paul. Contentment is not tied to circumstance with something far better. And if you're like me, a skeptic or a pessimist, you'll, you'll find this concept very hard to understand because for me, contentment is always tied to what is going on. All right? Uh, with this new child and, and, and my life getting turned upside down, I discovered that I'm an exceptional complainer. Like, ain't no one better. When things don't go my way, I complain, I whine, and I whine. And uh, my wife knows it very well. Uh, sorry, honey. Uh, and, and the thing is, I, I know very clearly at all times what I'm lacking. I am fantastic at it. I, I know what I don't have. And so in my mind, I'm always thinking, there's so much that I need. How could I possibly be content if I don't have these things? That's not possible. Right, Paul, I don't understand the secret of contentment that you're talking about. According to me, you have every right not to be content, right? You lack provisions, you lack friends, you lack support, you lack everything that I would need to, to even not complain. And yet somehow you can say, I am content. How is this possible? You see, for Paul, contentment has nothing to do with what is going on, but everything to do with his father's provision. It has everything to do with what his father has given him. And so for him, he's asking himself, do I have all that I truly need in Christ? Yes. Therefore, I am content. 
I might not have food, friends, freedom, yet I am redeemed. I am loved by my Father. I am saved by grace through Jesus. Therefore, I have no lacking. I lack nothing. And this is the secret of contentment that he talks about. It is his source. It's it's very much like joy. The two things go hand in hand. It's as if joy and contentment are synonymous to Paul. If you are joyful, you are content. If you are content, you are joyful. Because for him, the source is the same. It is God. God's love for him. Therefore, Paul finds that in the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, he has all that he needs in God. Friend, contentment is ours to have if we indeed go to the correct source. And I, I hear my, my skeptic heart, all right, thinking, God, if, how can I be content if I'm hungry, if I'm starving to death? How can I be content if I'm starving to death? And ironically, it's the same thing that Satan says to Jesus as he tempts him in the wilderness. And Jesus replies in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Paul, I mean, Jesus is, is responding by, by pointing to Deuteronomy, back to the Old Testament, when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, starving and complaining and saying, God, how did, why did you bring us out here to die? We had, at, at least we had meat back in Egypt. And what did he do? He provided for them miraculously with food and water in the desert. And you might be thinking, okay, great, where's my miracle bread? Where's my miracle check or my miracle diagnosis? You see, the issue has never been just meeting our physical needs. All right, for God, he's far more interested in meeting our eternal deepest needs It's not to say our physical needs are not important, but for him, he cares far more about our eternal well-being, about our eternal state, that we don't end up separated from him forever. And we see this in the New Testament because, as we saw in the Old Testament, he provides for their physical needs with, with manna and water. And yet in the New Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills a greater, deeper need in John chapter 6, 35, where he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, for the Old Testament, uh, Israelites, when they received the food and the water, they ate it, they were satiated temporarily, and then they started complaining again. What? Bread again? Manna again? It didn't satisfy eternally. And and here Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, shall not thirst ever again. I am here to fulfill and satisfy you fully, completely for eternity. See, what we need is not food. What we need is not clothing. What we need is not friends. What we need is redemption and salvation from sins and eternal damnation. And in Jesus, we are offered ultimate fulfillment that satisfies us perfectly forever. So much so that when we come to him, we will never need again. We will never truly lack again. And in him, our greatest needs are fully met. That's what Paul has realized. That's the secret of contentment that he has learned, that it is in Christ and in Christ alone that he has found satisfaction and peace beyond understanding. 
so much so that even in the midst of hunger and imprisonment, beatings and assassination attempts, he is fully provided for and satisfied, and therefore he can say, I'm content and I lack nothing. And earlier in this passage, we get a sense of what that looks like for Paul. In Philippians chapter 5, he says this, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, for Paul, this is what it means to be content. It's not this fake emotion, fake happiness that covers up uh, our pains. It's not some, some uh, psychological, such a psychological method of, of covering up our emotions or, or some trick to stop feeling sad, but contentment for Paul is looking at the reality of God's salvation and allowing it to, to cover our hearts to satisfy our hearts and and allowing our hearts to remember that we are actually perfectly taken care of already. That's what contentment looks like. It's peace that goes beyond understanding. It's an ability to not be anxious about anything, but to, to, to be able to turn to God in prayer and say, God, would you take care of me? And then to trust him to do so and to have that peace fill our very hearts. Even if our current situations were never to change. See, Christian contentment points us back to the completed work of Jesus. And it says to us, You have already have all that you need. See, if we ever lack contentment, it's not because we don't have what we need, but it's because we've lost sight of the truth. We fixated our eyes on circumstance rather than Christ, and therefore we falter and we whine. It's very much like Peter as he stood in those waves and he began to sink, as he noticed how big those waves were, he got caught up in his circumstances and lost sight of the truth that was standing right before him, his Savior. You see, we don't have to be like this. In fact, we shouldn't be like this. Now, here's the thing. It's not easy to learn. (laughs) It's easy for me to stand up here and just say, be content, stop being discontent. It's difficult to actually learn contentment. And for Paul, he's not telling us that this is something easy to learn. If you know Paul's history, you know how much he's gone through. Shipwrecks, not one, multiple. Stonings, assassination attempts, beatings, on and on and on. He lists them all in some of his letters. And it's likely in the midst of these difficulties, that's where he learned the secret of contentment as he was going through hardship, as he was going through probably his second shipwreck, God, again? Really? Another shipwreck? Who builds these things? What what is going on, God? And then he began to learn. I need a better source of contentment. I need a better source of joy, one that does not fail. My safety? not good enough. My, my, my ability to be, be fed, not good enough. My health, not good enough. I've lost all these things before, and I'll lose them again. But my God, I will never lose. My salvation, I will never lose. His grace for me is always good. Do not be discouraged if you are in the midst of wrestling with this question. If you're hurting, and you're in pain, and you're wondering, God, I have no contentment, 
It's a struggle for me right now. I, I can't go on. Take heart. Know that it is a process that takes time. It is learned ultimately when we're standing in the fire, when everything that we have been holding on to has been stripped away and burned away. That is when we see the truth. And we see how good our God is. See, many sleepless nights with my child, um, I found myself exhausted and, and just ready to cry with him or, or just to give up. And ironically, it's in these moments, I, I feel like the Lord is teaching me a lesson because he shows me in the midst of my whining and complaining what true contentment looks like. And parents, you know this, right? That moment after feeding, that little ball of flesh whom you love dearly is just slumped over happily. Milk on his cheeks, eyes closed, mouth closed, thankfully, and just this little smile on his face. Not a care in the world. All that he knows is that he's fed, warm, and cozy, and he's taken care of. Do you believe that to be true of your Heavenly Father? And he'll take care of you. It doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life, as good or as bad as it may be. He still will supply your every need because his grace is enough. His grace overflows. His love for you endures forever. Finally, he's our strength. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Very famous verse. Uh, you've probably seen it printed on uh, just about anything and everything at Ross. Um, and, uh, you know, we like to quote it. We throw it on our Instagram handles and, and we, you know, run around saying, I can do all things. We probably have a hand, a bracelet at some point that says that. And we think, yeah, it's awesome. I, I myself, uh, I love Steph Curry and, and I've bought some of his apparel. Uh, and him and Under Armour have somehow slipped in, I can do all things on every piece of his clothing. Um, and, you know, if you've never read the Bible before or you've never read this passage, you might see that and think, wow, the Bible must be talking about some sort of magical powers. Like, if I wear this, I will start making three-pointers. Uh, it doesn't work. I, I, I tried it. Um, but I think what's more important is that that's taking the verse out of context. I don't think the verse has anything to do with what we think it has to do with. And even worse... I think we're missing the most important part of the verse. It's not, I can do all things, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the focus of this verse. The focus, what Paul is clearly talking about in, in the context of, of, of Philippians, in the context of the Bible, Paul is talking very clearly that in this passage that he can endure all things. He can go through all hardship. And he's saying, believers, we can endure all things and we can find contentment and joy no matter what happens because of him. Do, the, the, the work that, that's you there in Greek, I can do, it, it talks about power and strength, the ability to perform a task. And he's saying, I've been, been empowered to do all these things. I've been strengthened to do these things because of my God. He's saying it's not because of me. It's not my strength, my ability that I'm able to do these things. It is through him who gives me strength. And this explains why Paul has been able to go through all that he has with joy and contentment, not because he is strong enough, but because his Savior 
has empowered him to do so. Right? Otherwise, how would he able to be able to go through all these things, to be able to endure all these things? You know, maybe one of these trials, maybe we could go through it. Hunger, slander, imprisonment, whatever it may be, but I don't know. How would someone be able to go through all these things and still come out the other side with joy? See, for Paul, it is only through God that he's able to do all these things. And this is great news for us weak, helpless people. Those of us who have no answers. Those of us who look around and say, God, I can't do this. I, I can't. And some of you guys, as Daniel was mentioning, this past year, you had a really awful year. You lost family members. You lost loved ones. Some of you guys heard terrible news from the doctors. And you've probably found yourself at some point on your knees thinking to God, I, I, I can't. I don't have any more strength, God. I don't have answers. How do we practically live this out? Yeah, I can say this verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What does it look like to actually live this out? See, first it requires us to humble ourselves and admit it's not me. I don't have what it takes. And then second, to turn to God in dependence. And for me personally, I have to ask myself questions to come to a point of relying on him. And for me, I have to use acronyms because it helps. I ask myself, EGG, E-G-G, is God enough? Is he sufficient for me? If I lose all things and I just have him, is that enough for me? G, is he good? Is his character proven throughout history and in my life and my experience with him? Is he always good to me? Is his character always trustworthy? And is he God? Is he sovereign above it all? Is he able to do all things? Is there nothing outside of his control? If the answer is yes, 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 then I'll be fine. Because he is enough, he is good, and he is God. Not because I am strong, not because I am enough, not because I am good, not because I am God, but because he is. And therefore I can endure, I can stand up again. I can find joy, I can find contentment, because he offers up himself in his son to us. You don't have any strength to endure anymore? That's okay. You don't have answers? That's okay. See, my power, he, my kid, he, he has no power to take care of himself. He can't. There's nothing he can do. He can't feed himself. He can't clean himself. Although I'm trying to teach him to. And in the dead of night when it's dark, when he looks around and can't see anybody, he feels alone. He's looking up from his little bassinet. All he has to do is cry out. And mom and dad come running. 
to take, take care of his every need. My friend, cry out to him. Cry out to our Father. He who is our strength. He who has promised to take care of us, to walk with us through to the very end, to strengthen us with his own power. He who has loved us enough to send his own son to die for us. He will strengthen you. He will get you through. Let me pray for us. Father, we need you. Especially as we are recognizing our own weaknesses, as we see our own brokenness, as we see moments in in which our sources of happiness are destroyed, when we find ourselves full of discontentment and complaining. God, when we are weak, teach us to come to you. Teach us to, to cling to you out of desperation. And would we find, God, that in your arms and in, in your care, we are perfectly provided for in every way that we could ever need. God, would we stop seeking to, to change our circumstances? God, would we recognize that there's something far more important that is to be good with you, to be your child. God, teach us to trust you. God, I I pray for our people here, our, our church, for all of us who have gone through so much, would we find comfort and solace and peace in you? Would we know that you are always in control and that you are more than enough for us. And therefore, we can get through each day under your care. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.